in God we trust. Um, as we look at it, uh, we're going to look at the an account of Paul on the road to Damascus. And let's set this up, talk about goading. Um, Paul was convinced that he ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so on a 150-mile trip from Jerusalem to Damascus to persecute Christians, he was convinced he was on a mission from God. And what ends up happening, he really was on a mission from God. <laughs> if we look at it, look what it says in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 14. The passage is written out. I'm going to start us off. We're going to deal with some questions. What, when, and why. When we deal with when and why, I'm going to ask JC to come up, and we're going to do a little tag teaming and just to make sure we apply. This is going to be an interesting series because it's one of those things that's going to scramble our eggs a little bit when we think about spiritual influence. We're going to be talking about it for a while. Next week, we'll talk about how to recognize goading. Again, JC and I will both tag team this, and then we'll talk about how to resist it and how to replace it. So this morning, we might create some, what is he saying? But we're going to try to get a general sense for the text, what is goading, and then we'll continue to to step this out in the upcoming weeks. So if you scramble this morning, that's okay. Well, it's okay for me. I'm not sure if it's okay for you. Let me, uh, let me read. Paul writes, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, he explained this to King. Oh, King, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What is a goad? You see it in this guy's hand. A goad is a prod. It's a way you can move animals to move in the direction you want them to move. So what he would do with this prod, if he wants the sheep or the cattle, whoever he's prodding to move along, it's either a sharp-ended object, a stick, or a whip can serve as a goat. It inflicts pain to keep someone moving in the direction you want them to move in. Really what it is, it's a means of control. It's a means of control, a way to control animals. Okay, so... That's what it means for an animal, and that's pretty straightforward. Um, what does it mean to go to person if you see that little kid on his dad's shoulder? It's easy to think of animals. What about goading people? Because it seems that's what Jesus is indicating to Paul. Paul's not an animal. He's a man. What does it mean to go to man or a woman? How does that happen? And that's what um, we'll end up looking at. What does Jesus mean when he tells Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads? Um, again, to kick against the goads, if, I'm, if these animals, these sheep, if the farmer here moves them along, kicking against the goads would be kicking up the stick. This hurts. Stop it. 
And that's what it means to kick against the goads. It's to resist someone's influence, to resist going in the direction the one who is goading wants you to walk in. It's common to interpret God as being the one goading. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And the image is that God is trying to get Paul to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And he gives him subtle cues. He's prodding him to do so. And Paul keeps on resisting, kicking against God's influence, and he just won't buy it. I won't buy that Jesus is God. He's kicking against God's goads. And this appeals to us in a way. It appeals to us. God's a gentleman. We heard it said. He doesn't go where he isn't invited. He doesn't impose his influence on our free will. God's a gentleman. Don't bother trying to convince Paul to buy this view of God. He won't buy it. That's what he says. I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. Jesus, not Paul's on his keister. When God exerts influence, Paul is unable to resist it. God is large and in charge. What is he saying? If God's not the one goading, who is goading? And why is Paul resisting the goads? And why is it hard? And why does that come into the picture of why Paul is running to Damascus and every city to try to beat up Christians? That's the questions we want to identify. Goad is also not just a something that you use with animals, it's also the weapon of an oppressed people. If you are a conquered nation, in these times, swords and munitions were removed. And so, the only weapon available to a conquered people was a goad, a sharpened stick that you could sharpen the ends, and it served as a makeshift weapon. A goad is the weapon of a resistance movement. If you are a conquered people wanting to overthrow an oppressive nation, goads were the munitions that you used. Uh, there was a, from the Samuel, it talks about when Israel was under the dominion of the Philistines. And let me just read. Not a blacksmith could be found on the whole land of Israel because the Philistines have said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So they outlawed blacksmiths. And it goes on. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. These are kind of goads. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them, and the rest of them had farm implements that had been sharpened, goads. And they're using this goad as a weapon to take against the Philistines to overthrow them in battle. So you're saying, okay, Mike, what's all this about then? As a Jewish leader, and Paul was a Jewish leader, if you were a Pharisee, you were part of the government. Um, Paul would have been pressured to join the Jewish resistant movement resistance movement to Roman rule. The Jews were very, they had become subjects of Rome in centuries, I think a century or a century and a half B.C. So by this time, it would have been a couple hundred years almost that they had been under Roman dominion. They were really anxious to get Rome off their back. And they wanted to overthrow Rome. In Paul's day, there was a growing resistance movement. 
that was capturing the imagination of the people, and especially the Pharisees would be ones who would champion this. Because earlier in the second century BC, when they were under Greek domination, the Hasidim, they were part of the, the resistance, re, religious resistance movement that really was a big part of overthrowing Greece. It, it bound the people together, the religious people. So what's happening here, the Pharisees would be considered to be the ones who had to champion this. And Paul was a Pharisee, and so, you know, what was happening, people over Paul were prodding him. Get involved in the resistance movement. And I think that's part of what's being intimated when it says, it's hard for you to kick against goads, isn't it, Paul? Goads are the, are, the, are the signs of resistance. I think other Jews and Jewish leaders are poking at him, saying, get involved, take up our charge. And they believed that God was behind their rebellion, and they told Paul that it was God's will. Here's Paul's problem. He is a Jewish leader and a Roman citizen. Mm. He is, well, he has two pledges of allegiance, doesn't he? He has to pledge allegiance to Israel, and he has to pledge allegiance to Rome. You know what it's hard for him to do? Kick against goads. He wants to show support for the movement in Israel, but he can't because he also is naturally in allegiance to Rome. Um, Jews were goading him into championing the resistance movement. He couldn't embrace it. It was hard for him to resist the prodding to join the Jewish nationalistic movement. It was hard for him to kick against the goads. He was being pulled in half by divided loyalties. You get the picture? So what does this have to do with, with Damascus? Well, what does he do with the tension? Because on the one hand, he wants to embrace his fellow Jews, can't. On the other hand, he wants to embrace his fellow Romans, can't. He's stuck in between. He's being pulled in half. You know what he can do? There's a new religious movement that the Jews are opposed to, and the Romans don't really like. They don't know what to think of it. There's this church growing up. It has Christians, and the Jews don't want this movement. The Romans, okay, don't know what to do about it, and Paul says, here's my chance. And he went after the Christians with vigor, vigor. He hunted them down in Jerusalem, hunted them down in Damascus. And you know why he was doing that? Because it was hard for him to kick against the goads. It was hard for him to resist and not join any movement. So he said he could curry favor with Rome by going after the church. He could curry favor with Israel by going after the church and not offend the Romans at the same time. And that's what he did. And he, and he took it upon himself. So you know what's happening here? Jesus answers his own question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because it's hard for you to kick against the goads. That's why you're doing this, Paul. That's why you're doing this. And you know what I think he does with Paul? You know what happened? Paul went blind, and he had to think about it. And he did. And it transformed his life. Um, Hard for you to kick against the goads. I think that's what Jesus said. You turn toward Rome, you're pulled by Israel. You turn toward Israel, you're pulled by Rome. It was hard for him to kick against this. It was exhausting. You know the image I get? Picture his allegiance, his allegiances being hooked ropes. Get this, there's ropes attached to hooks that are embedded in his heart. 
things that he cares about, allegiances that he pledges. Paul was a man who lived up to his convictions. He has a rope with Jewish hooks in it pulling this way. He has a, he has a rope with Roman hooks pulling this way, and he's being pulled in half. It's hard not to, have, not to be able to live up to your allegiances, isn't it? Isn't it? We know about that. You pledge allegiance to something. You want to live in line with it. You want to be faithful to it. Have you ever been in a place where you were damned if you did and damned if you didn't? You ever been in that place where if you turn this way, you offend somebody over here that you care about? If you turn this way, you offend somebody over there. Do you understand what that feels like? I give you a word about that. It's hard to kick against goals, isn't it? Hard to. We all want to be included. And that's Paul wanted to be as well. I think this is the picture. How do we apply this to us? We're not talking about a nationalistic movement. We're not dual citizens. By the way, if you just if some of you are these ones that might be interested in these little little sideline things, you know what's an interesting study you might do? Arguably, the two most influential spiritual representatives in the Bible are Moses and Paul. Would you agree with me? Both of them were dual citizens. What do you make of that? What do you make of that? Moses was an Egyptian and a Jew. Paul was a Roman and a Jew. I'll just let that sit. You can do whatever. You can do it. Do it. Mike, I'm not really interested. Some of you are. Come on. Some of you are a little bit interested. Please, some of you be a little bit interested. Because after all, then if you're not interested, then I'm up here saying, this is interesting to me. And you're saying, oh, good luck, Mike. Okay. Um, let's tack down a definition of goading that kind of applies to us as we try to flesh this out and and figure out, okay, how does this have to do with me? Um, I'm going to have J.C. come up, and he's going to explain a little bit, just in a sec, J.C. Um, the first question, explain this image. This found, this is the definition of goading. Found this in, in DeviantArt. Goading is fog-based spiritual influence. Do we know, you know what fog is by now? F. Fear. O. G. Fog. Fear, obligation, and guilt. Goading is fog-based spiritual influence. And that's what we'll... It's when we determine God's will for ourselves or someone else, and we use fear, obligation, and guilt to make a person live in line with God's will. After all, the, the ends justify the means. And if I use fear, obligation, and guilt, goading to get you to do the right thing, that's okay, isn't it? It's okay, isn't it? The ends justify the means as long as you do the right things. I'm not sure. That's what we're going to see. Goading is fog-based spiritual influence. When we use fear, obligation, and guilt as prods to get people to move even towards God, that's goading. That's goading. And what we'll see at some point while we're moving them towards him, there is a resistance building up in them that in Paul's case causes him to hate God. Is that possible? You push someone and they comply, but all the while you're pushing them, you're not building a responsiveness to God in them. You're building a 
resistance that might not come right now because you have the big stick. You have the big stick with the pointy end. But when you're not there with the big stick and the pointy end, when they can go in their own direction, are they going to continue to go in the direction you were goading, we were goading them to go into? It's a good question, isn't it? Good question, isn't it? And we'll do application. How do we apply this as parents? As friends. And that's why JC is going to come up in a little bit. So I'm going to just pass off the difficult things over to him. JC, how do we do this as, as parents? Okay, all-knowing all one. Why don't you enlighten us? And then I can get out of harm's way. Come on up, Jay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Is that true? No, I, I, Is that true? JC, did I goad you right yeah, now? Yeah, you did. Okay, you did. thank you very much. Okay, um, goading is fog-based spiritual influence. Um, when do we goad? We go when we use fog to influence people to obey God. We use fear, obligation, and guilt to influence people to obey God. That's what it, it's when we put shoulds in God's mouth, when we should on people in God's name. I said should on people. <laughs> Listen to me. I said should on people. They, they okay. heard the other word. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. You okay. just goaded me. Um, when we use fear, obligation, and guilt to get people to obey God. Jay, any, you want to weigh in on this image? Well, I, I was thinking about, um, I want everybody to do, an ex- do a thing with me, goading, fear-based, fog-based. Do this. Everybody do this. That's fear. Huh. Add the second finger. Fog, put them together. Hmm. Now put your thumb up. Huh. What do we got? Huh. What do we got? Gun. Who do you point it at? Who do you point it at? Now, some of you say, I would never point a gun at anybody. <laughs> but we point it at people all the time. Um, my three daughters would say, Dad, you point the gun at me. You know? But but the, the violation is when I then leverage. Here, here's what I think happens. Mike said, when do people do that? And I think I get my gun out. Um, I think I get my gun out in a point of weakness. But when I feel like I should, ought. Or I'm afraid, and I have to bring influence to bear. Mm-hmm. When I'm, I fear, or I feel I ought obligation, or I feel guilty, I get my gun out. Mm-hmm. I get my gun out, and I leverage. Now let me say this: Any of you got home and said this? You know, I was listening to the sermon yesterday, and you tie it to something you want to talk about with your kids or your wife, and you say, you know, Mike says. Anybody <laughs> do that? Anybody do that? I see less smiling. <laughs> Anybody read a good book and leave the pages open for their husband to find? <laughs> so those, that's golding, right? That's that's human human based golding. Mm. You know, me and Mike looked have both read and been to workshops to listen to guys talk about the subtle power of spiritual abuse. Mm. Well, we're talking about when golding becomes spiritual mm. abuse. When golding becomes spiritual abuse. I don't leverage Mike. I don't leverage mm. the good book with Jeff and Vonner. And I don't leverage my friend said, I leverage God. And I use God to put the fear or put the obligation or put the guilt into my wife 
my kids, my employees, however it is, where that spiritual influence might come to bear, then I might say to Eric, you know, God was talking to me and you ought to, or I might say, you know, I'm really feeling, I'm really feeling led to, and that's a goading, because what I'm quietly doing is adding divine weight mm. See, when we go, is when we feel light in the pocket. I got nothing but this cleaner. I got no money in my pocket. When I feel light, now I got to add authority to what I'm saying. Okay? And when you, when you go to the place of wrongly applying the Father's voice, because he doesn't go in a goading tactic, now we're talking spiritual abuse. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you're saying, Jay? That when I feel afraid, so I look at you, I'm afraid for you, I feel like I'm letting down an obligation that I should have, I feel guilty about what I didn't do. I feel fear, obligation, and guilt because of something that you're doing. I need to get you to stop doing it so I won't feel fearful, obligated, and guilty. So what I'll do then is I will call pack his influence. You know, God, you really should. And I might say, I'm doing this for your benefit. But really what it is, I need for you to change your behavior because if your behavior changes, my fear goes away. My obligation goes away. Is that the way it works? works. So I discharge my tension by forcing you. And so I'm goading you really so that I won't get goaded. Is that right, Jay? That's why the picture makes sense. That's why the picture makes sense. So that I'm looking at you, but I'm the one put the ring around your neck so I feel better, right? Or so I feel like I have influence, or for so I feel like a good dad or, or a faithful husband. Dangerous stuff. And rather than stand in the place of either divided, because most, most of us with our kids can see both sides. Most of us on a good day with our spouses can see both sides. Did you hear what I said? On a good day. Now, not all of us have good days in a row, right? We, we have some spotty days. But, but, but when I feel empty, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the bear. And I might go all the way up to, I might go all the way up to pulling down, pulling down keys from heaven and saying, to calm my fear, you ought to. I feel like we need to do this obligation. Or because I'm feeling guilty, I'll goad you into some behavior or response so I don't feel so bad anymore. So, Jay, you're not saying that horizontally, because we goad all the time. We, to goad is to push somebody, to get them to move in a direction. Yeah. It's, it's on, a, on a horizontal plane, we do that. We do As it. parents, yeah. the civil authorities do it, police do it, and you stay in line. So you're suggesting then, or we're suggesting, that it's a problem when we bring it from the vertical sphere, and we use the same mechanisms on his behalf. Is that right? I'm speaking for God. I mean, if if what we believe, if what we see in terms of grace is right, is God's authority based on screaming and shouting, or is Mm. his authority based on helios? Mm. Now, y'all said that weak, like we haven't been teaching. (laughs) That's scary to me. Let me try it again. I mean, I asked it wrong. No, no, I am. I am. I am. I'm 
I'm hoping we is is God's authority based on getting big and ugly, or is it based on Helios? Helios. That was good golden behavior. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But but because because you we, acted like very good animals. But, but Helios is foolishness to most people, and it's foolishness when you're in a crisis with your kid, or you're in a crisis with your husband or wife, or you're in a crisis at work. It's, it seems foolish for us to respond from a position of powerlessness. I got nothing. I should have something. It seems crazy. So that's we when we go from a position of of empty, then that's vertical. But when I or, Horizontal, but when I go and yeah. I, I step up, now, now, now I have trouble. Now, does that make sense? Now I'm in trouble. When you, does that make sense? You, it's it's not going to say, don't do that, as a parent. It's going when God doesn't want you to do that. That's packing heat, and that's goading. And in that sense, you can get someone to move in the direction you want them to move in, but there's an attendant thing that's happening inside. You're representing God in a way that he does not goad. And that, you, I think you probably already touched on it. Why do we goad? I think, I, I think we goad because, one, we're, we're divided on the inside. I, I think, hmm. Mike, you said we're not like Paul. I think we're a lot like Paul. I think that hmm. my... My my flesh spirit wants some things. I mean, the notion mm-hmm. I always think in my head is I want to keep what I have and get what I want. Mm-hmm. I want to keep what I have and get what I want, and that creates division. Mm-hmm. And then I think about faith and love, and for me sometimes I translate that to morality and oughts and shoulds, and then now I'm divided. So what you're saying, Jay, and, and I would – and so in – I'm glad you pointed that out. We are not dual citizens, but we are dual citizens. We have one foot in the earth, and as believers, we have the other foot in, and the allegiances are in contrast. And so if we move towards heaven, we feel the pull of the hook of the world. I might not need all the retirement. Maybe I could, you know, and I'm talking about give, make giving be one thing. I can give some, I'll give more of it away. Eee, the pull of retirement. You feel that. Or you move in the direction of, I need to, I'm, and, ooh, and so we feel the pull. So we feel the pull, and, and, it's, and sometimes we feel, we, it's hard for us to figure out where is God in this right. whole pull? And again, I think that's the thing with Paul. They were convincing him it's God who wants Israel to be liberated. And, and what we'll see, I don't think that was God's thing at all. But we get confused, don't we? I think in the, I think in the face of if the faith stance is when God's present, there's no tension, hmm. now we're in trouble. Because as hmm. soon as tension occurs, my brain goes, God must be absent. He must not be there. Okay, i give you a, my everyday practical example is mom brings son in who started to use substances. Okay? Soon as the president, she, mom says to me, this kid has been a great kid up to this point. As soon as that kid smokes a joint, mom's attention goes to the ceiling. Now, what she says to me is, and you don't even talk to me about no God, because apparently he ain't watching my kid. 
So guess what? She got to now. She pulls out the big guns. And rightfully so, right? Ah, I like that. Some people went. Some people literally went like this. No. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> this is the right answer. No. <laughs> that is the right answer. Because we're divided, right? Mm. Now, here's the interesting thing. Goading will happen if I presume that God is absent. Mm. Okay. The hard part is to parent that kid in the presence of tension, which is this kid isn't behaving the way I want, and to not assume that the choice he's making reflects no God. Mm. What if God's in charge of this kid? There's some things I have to do so I don't enable that. But there's some things I need to not do to try to fix this kid. or mm. you know, Because what happens in my work is as soon as you do that, Eric said it right. It creates resistance. And this kid starts to go, oh, yeah, you think? Oh, uh, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> that's, what they, that's their response. Okay? <laughs> what I want to do is set parents up in a place where they're the resource for that kid. That sometimes means I got to set some hard lines. But what ends up happening is if I presume the presence of a problem, the kid is depressed. He comes in. I found he had a razor blade in his house, in his room, bedroom. What do I do? Don't assume there's no God. Because as soon as you do that, I'm going to start golden the kid. What that means is this kid's behavior, this kid's goofy behavior is more important to me than the relationship I have with the kid. I start shooting my gun. Now, let's, let's, one more example. One more example. Your husband chooses every day to not come home at 6 o'clock. And when he comes home, he's on the cell phone and he's doing business all the time. That creates tension for the wife. I can't get him to, I can't get him to, I can't get him to be with me. And is he being a knucklehead? Yeah. Is he out of line? He is. But the solution isn't to pull out the big gun. And the solution isn't, you know, I went to Hope and it was talking about uh, marriage. And God says, <laughs> you, know, you know, the verse, uh, husband are love their wife. You are not loving, Randy. And I'm telling you, God says, you, I'm not saying that. I just read it in the word. I'm just sharing with you, brother. I'm golden here. And now I'm, now I'm being abusive. Now I'm being abusive, spiritually abusive. Because I'm crossing the line. I could say to him, brother, it hurts me to see you not take care of your wife. I could say that to him as a brother to brother. I could say, hey, man, I, I saw your wife crying. I witnessed the crime of him not being available. I could bring that to bear. But as soon as I... Start to pull my gun out and leverage because I don't feel big enough. And I pull down God. Now I got trouble. And I'm pulling it down because I don't think, I'm only pulling it down because I got to because I don't think he's there. So I got to reach up and mm-hmm. grab him. Come on, God. Talk, bring something. To, you know, we got to fix Randy. He's my friend. It's a problem, right? So 
my experience is being able to teach people to live in the tension of bad decisions, trust God's there, and that he's Helios to it. And trust actually that Helios will bring a kid around, bring a husband around, bring a wife around. Helios. Not pouting, not anging, not screaming, not preaching. But that doesn't mean that that's bad because that happens. Do I do I get mad at my wife? Yes. Does she get mad at me? Yes. Yes. It's okay. That's you know that that tension is what we're talking about in grace. But when we start to stoop, when we start to stoop to saying things and using people and using to get for her to get me to do something, now I'm go. Gotta watch it. That's not how to influence. So you're saying, Jake, good. When we step in, and I'm just gonna tie it up, when we step in, we end up assuming that God is not here. If I have to step in for him, he's back there, and therefore he needs me to be his arm. Really. God's arm doesn't contain a goad. God doesn't goad. And when we talk about we goad, I think we goad because we believe God does. We goad because we believe God does. Um, Paul would have struggled with whether or not the Pharisees were speaking for God. It says a lot of places in the Old Testament that God liberates Jerusalem. He liberates Israel. He comes and kings mass against Jerusalem and and Hezekiah then marshals, and God did this time and time and time again. I don't think Paul was sure that that it wasn't God he was resisting. I think Paul didn't know whether God was on their side or not. You know what it's like when you're pulled in different directions and you really don't know? Very confusing, isn't it? It creates a lot of tension. If it creates a lot of tension, it just ends up, i got to do something. Uh, when Jesus answers the question, you know what you think he says, Paul, you know what, you know, you're, you're running around. It's, it's really hard for you to kick against the goads. You know what I think what happens here for Paul? I forget what the commercial was. Look, Ma, no hands. That used to be something. It used to be some kind of commercial or something. You remember that commercial, Joel? Okay, yeah, any, any commercial over. <laughs> I always have to look to Joel so that he can insult me and, and that I can goad him. So, yeah. Um, it looked by no hands. And you know what I think what Jesus is saying and what Paul sees? Look, Paul, no goads. Look, Paul, no goads. Hard for you to kick against the goads, and you don't see a goad in my hand, do you, Paul? And Paul at that point says, wait a minute. They were using fear, obligation, and guilt to get me to champion the Jewish resistance movement, but you're not telling me that's from you. And you know what happened at that point? Paul was able to start resisting the goading replace it with something else. He recognized, I think, something that's hard for us to recognize. God doesn't goad. God does not use fear, obligation, and guilt to motivate you to obey him because he's smart enough to know that when push comes to shove, it plants the seeds of resistance. God wants your heart. That means he wants your willingness. That's why he can't use fear, obligation, and guilt. He wants you to love him. Fear can't produce that. God, look what it says. There is no fear in love, 1 John 4. 
Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Fear and love are mutually exclusive. If you increase fear, you decrease love. That's the way it works. If you increase fear, you decrease love. If you increase obligation, you decrease love. If you increase guilt, you decrease love. What do you do to get... You understand how that works? Uh, Even if the ultimate destination is correct, even if the place you're moving them to is the place God would have them to be, putting new wine into old skins ruins both of them. See, there's new things God wants us to do. But you have to put new wine, which is the message, into new skins. You know what the old skins are? You know what the old skins are, don't you? Look what it says. And this is the last word. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. There was goading. And in the Old Testament, there was goading. It was the operating system. And it was the operating system until Jesus came. He died. And look where it says, Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and I don't carry a goad in my hand. That's gentle and humble. You don't goad. Operating systems change. Forceful. You will. It is not the way Jesus does things. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Worship team, come on up. We're going to look then. We answered some questions related to what and when and why. Next week, we'll start to deal with how. How to recognize goading week after, how to resist it, and after that, how to, how to replace it with something that is more reflective how, of how God changes our life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your influence, and we do care about people around us. We care about people conforming more to the way you would have us do things, both ourselves and others. I pray in the coming weeks as we think about how that type of influence is effectively brought, that you just don't tell us to do the right thing. You tell us to do the right thing in the right way, by the right means, through the right spirit. You don't use fear, obligation, and guilt. You are gentle and humble in heart. I pray that we would both hear that and receive it and increasingly Again, all of us have ways to go increasingly, be able to reflect it in Jesus' name. Amen.